And then at the end, the minister actually pulled me over and he said, let me let me get this this Airbnb thing. This was early days of Airbnb where it wasn't, you know, as, as mainstream as it is today. And he said, you you guys are in the business of facilitating complete strangers staying in, in your house. And I said, you know, yes, minister, yeah, we, that's what we do. And he said, you, you know, we have entire industries to prevent this sort of thing from happening, you know, like alarm companies and door lock companies, like people don't want this thing. Like, are people actually doing this? And I said, well. Aaron, you're in the studio. Welcome. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Quickly, introduce yourself and uh, tell us why you're in Nosara. Yeah, my name's uh, Aaron Zifkin. This is actually my second time in Nassara. I was here 13 years ago uh, with a very good friend of mine, Kai Soto, our mutual friend. Shout out to Kai. And, uh, and, and back here 13 years later and uh, been down here for six months on this this jaunt and, and looking forward to coming back again next year. So what's the difference between 13 years ago to now in your eyes? You know, it's funny. I've, I've been asked that question a bunch of times. Uh, I, I think there's two things that jump out to me. One is, you know, a lot of these places that, that have this magic, you know, a lot of the time they lose it. And I think that for some, you know, somehow, some way, uh, even with all this development around, there's definitely still that magic. Still got the exact same feeling I did 13 years ago, which I think is a real testament to the community. Uh, on the other side of that, obviously, I mean, some of the real estate development here is just incredible. What's, uh, what's coming up here, both commercial and residential. Uh, certainly big, big changes there. Now, you've been around the world and are pretty versed uh, as far as seeing towns grow and whatnot. Are we growing a good way or a bad way? Like, what, what's your read on the situation? I mean, I, I think it's a good way. And I think, you know, for, for me, it always comes back to the community. Uh, you know, there's so many stakeholders that, that make or break a community. And um, I, I think there's, there, there's certainly, again, like I said, that, that feel that's here. I, I think there's, you know, a couple of things. One is... Uh, and it's funny, you know, every person that I've talked to that's, that's been here and I said, you know, how long have you been here for? There, there's a really the same pattern here. It's, you know, I was here, I came for a week, came for six months. I ended up, you know, doing a long-term rental. I ended up living here. And so I, I think people have picked up on what's special about this place. And when they finally do get here and become residents, they really want to maintain that. Um, that said, you know, in any development, there's always a balance between the local community um, you know, the, the indigenous population that has been here before and, and locals coming in and prices driving people out of towns. Uh, and I think that's an area that obviously I'd want to keep an eye on, making sure you still have that local feel. Let's just jump right into it. You have a pretty extensive career at Airbnb and you know how this story plays out in a lot of places in the world. So if you don't mind, if it's okay, I want to jump into that because when you say Airbnb around here, for some people it's an evil, bad thing. And for some people it's, uh, a fantastic thing. They got them a great place to stay in a spot that was interesting. So I, I think the same patterns hold true with, you know, the way that a town develops. And, and you know, to your point, you know, Airbnb can be a contentious topic. Uh, and and that still holds true, you know, even in 2021. Um, but I think, you know, education, conversation uh, and stakeholder engagement is really, really important. And And what I mean by that. I can, can't tell you how many conversations I had with various stakeholders, and those could be, you know, public policy officials uh, or uh, union leaders. 
And when you had conversations with them and, and really drew circles around, here are the really, really great things about this model mm-hmm. that are really, really impactful and help the community that we're operating in. These are wonderful things that we really, really want to make sure blossom. Here are the areas. Here's another circle that, you know, might not be great if we don't manage it properly. Uh, and then here's this area in the middle, the circle in the middle where we're going to arm wrestle a little bit and really understand and have those conversations because I think, you know, in any negotiation, when there's a common end goal, and a lot of the time there is, just it's understanding what that common end goal is, it's really easy to negotiate and have those conversations and come up with a good resolution. I'll tell you one, one funny story early on in, in my Airbnb career. And I, and I say early, I think I was probably a couple of weeks into the, into my time at Airbnb. What was and, your position at, at- when you first got there, as you're telling the story. So when I first started Airbnb, I was the, the first employee in Canada as the, the country manager for Canada. And so at, at the time, I, I was I was having a conversation with the, the federal minister of finance at the time, and he was having what's called a pre-budget consultation. And so he invites a bunch of stakeholders around the room um, to, to give him feedback before he pulls the budget together. And you can imagine the type of people that were around the table. We're talking CFOs of the big banks and, and uh, manufacturing facilities and automotive industry. And, uh, you know, he would sort of go around like Santa Claus around the table. You know, what do you want in, you know, what do you want to see in the budget? And everybody was saying, you know, we want tax benefits and, and we want less regulation. Uh, and, you know, finally came to me and, you know, I was this, you know, young guy saying, well, actually, we, we'd love to be taxed and we would love regulation. And, you know, everyone around the table sort of went like, who is this guy and why is he saying that? And then at the end, the, the minister actually pulled me over. And he said, let me, let me get this, this Airbnb thing. This was early days of Airbnb where it wasn't, you know, as, as mainstream as it is today. And he said, you, you guys are in the business of facilitating complete strangers staying in, in your house. And I said, you know, yes, minister. Yeah, we, that's what we do. And he said, you, you know, we have entire industries to prevent this sort of thing from happening, you know, like alarm companies and door lock companies. Like people don't want this thing. Like are people actually doing this? And I said, well, you know, there was 2 million people last night alone around the world that did this thing. And so that was, you know, those were the early conversations, right? Like, what is this thing? How does it work? It's a scary phenomenon. But if it's managed and regulated properly, then, you know, it, it's a great outcome for everybody. Go ahead and share with us how you got with the company, because that's an interesting story. People always say, you know, right, you know, good luck is the right time. And people say, you know, you got to make your own luck. Um uh, I, I'm, I'm squarely in the camp of, you know, this is definitely, definitely luck. Um, you know, it was, it was 2013 and I was visiting, uh, actually our, our mutual friend, funny enough. Um, in, uh, and we ended up taking a trip to Bali and we stayed in an Airbnb. He booked it for the first time. And I remember saying to myself, wow, like what an experience. You know, we had our own place, great look, like pinpoint location right on the beach. Um, and it was a fraction of the cost of a hotel. And, uh, and you know, to be honest with you, I, I didn't think much about it. I was still traveling around, you know, around the region at the time. And as I was on my way home several months later, uh, I was passing through Singapore and, uh, I called up my friend, said, let's go for a drink. And he, he wasn't there. And he said, but my buddies are going, you know, up for a drink. He should, you know, join them. And I said, sure, why not? And, and a guy actually walked into that, uh, to that bar that night wearing an Airbnb t-shirt. And for some reason, it didn't even occur to me that this was like a real business that was was happening. And I asked him point blank. I said, you know, I see you guys aren't in Canada. 
you know, any interest in, in coming to Canada? And his very quick response was, uh, no, we're going to run it from the U.S., you know, not happening. And, and probably six months later, he, he messaged me again and said, you know, actually, we are coming to Canada. Would you have any interest? And, you know, so. So you, you know, launched Canada. So, so launched Canada, you know, had no clue what I was doing. All um, from a bar in Singapore with you, some friends of a friend. Yeah. I mean, you, you just couldn't script it. You know, everyone talks about the corporate ladder. You know, it, it's a pinball game. It's not a corporate ladder. You know, how are you landed the, these interesting, amazing gigs and then spending Six months in Osara, like, how are you pulling this off? Tell all the rest of us, like, how, how to live a life like that. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, it may sound like a complicated question. It's actually the, the, the simplest answer that I, you know, that, that there is out there. And that is, uh, having great mentors and coaches, um, with, without a doubt. Um, I, I've been so fortunate in my life to have people. And, and I think this is a really important distinction. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, would, would call people mentors. And those are people that you get advice from. But to me, a mentor is somebody who really takes you under their wing, who wants to impart their knowledge um, onto you, uh, help you really design your life, not just be a passive, you know, a passenger uh, on the journey. Um, but more than anything, is really passionate about seeing you succeed. Uh, and I think, you know, if you can, and, and a lot of times people talk about having a mentor, you know, and that's obviously you're very lucky if, you, if you've got one. But I've always loved having multiple people in my orbit that you know come up from different backgrounds whether they're formally trained or street fighters or entrepreneurs or whatever it is and posing the same questions to them and getting very very different responses and you sort of take all that information in and massage it into something that makes sense you know for, for yourself but without a doubt um this is uh, you know i've been so fortunate to just you know see people living these kind of lives and saying you know that that looks really good it's kind of interesting a lot of people like you who are very successful and have had call it luck call it skill call it anything seem to land here. Why do people like you keep coming here? You know, I think everybody wants to feel a sense of belonging, you know, somewhere. Um, and everyone's got their, their checklist on what those things are that really fulfill their soul. And, you know, when I was thinking about coming back here and I sort of had my rubric, you know, the thing that I was thinking, where, you know, where do I want to spend this time? Um, Nassara just was able to check those things off. You know, for, for me, it was, I really wanted to be in a place that didn't feel like a big city that I was going to get lost in. I didn't want something that was too small that, you know, I, I would feel like it's way too small town. I wanted somewhere that had a really strong community aspect to it. Uh, surfing, uh, I've, it's always been a passion of mine. It's pretty tricky when you're living in Toronto, Canada, you know, to really get into the sport. And so, you know, being lucky enough to have this chunk of time uh, to go deep on something. And that something was surfing for me. And so, you know, putting all those things together, I think was, uh, you know, Nassar really checked all those boxes. I got me. you. So it sounds like a, there's a commonality of not too big, not too small, just enough off the beaten path, but not, again, not too much the other way. Uh, and then having other people that you can kind of relate to and have something fresh and new circled around health and wellness kind of thing. Yeah. And that's, that's actually been one of the, the nicest parts. You know, you always hear that term health and wellness. And for a long time, that, that in my mind was, you know, gotta get to the gym, you know, get my, get my 30 minutes, my 45 minutes in, you know, meet with my trainer. And, and it was, you know, get home from work at five, six o'clock and, you know, you know, smash a quick workout and, you know, try and eat a reasonably healthy meal. And, Right. And then you're sitting on your couch till, you know, midnight and, you know, getting up like, and like, you know, the, the rat race, right. Um, you know, sprinkling a, a ton of travel in different time zones and you're just sort of discombobulated. 
Um, what I what I felt here in Nasara is you know truly redefining what what health and wellness is and really understanding what that is. Right, moving a little bit slower, eating really well, um, uh, all of the activity, all the different modalities you know that are that are here in terms of health and wellness, uh, and and more than anything, I think like when you look around and the the type of people that are here, the cohort that is here. People are active, and so you're inspired to be active here, which is a really nice thing to be around. That's pretty aptly put. It does seem like seeing so many other people moving and being active, it makes it very easy to stay moving yourself. Yeah, I mean, how how great was it today when you said, "Hey, Aaron, you know, what time do you want to kick this thing off?" You know, and, and I said, oh, "It doesn't really matter to me." And you wrote back to me very simply. Let's do it after the morning surf session, right? Like the fact that that was in the discussion was just amazing. I think, you know, that that is, that's living in Nasara. I'm embarrassingly proud of the story that you're saying right now. Yeah. That's me being professional. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. It's, it's a, uh, actually I'll go ahead and throw myself under the bus here. One of the worst things is when people are on their way here and they're planning out a trip and they plan it out by every minute. None of this is going to happen. Hi, uh, stop compartmentalizing you're no sorry experience. And then what happens is when they get here and life does what it does, it has a way of kind of pushing back on you. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really interested. I mean, it's really easy to fall into that here, right? It's such a nice way of living, you know, blurring work and play and, uh, and even just like, you know, I've never been a morning person in my entire life. And, and here, you know, like you're waiting for that sun to come up and, and, and to get out and, uh, and in bed early. I'm, I'm really interested to see how that adjustment when I go back home uh, for the next few months, what it's like to actually revert back to some of that again and to see, you know, and, and I suspect I know the answer, right? It, it, you know, wanting to get back into that and, and making that a part. Yeah, I think you know, you know how this story plays out. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and, and I think, you know, that's, you know, I don't think we have to be too scientific. I think that's the reason, you know, why Nasara is, you know, why Nasara is Nasara. That makes right? sense. People go home and they say, actually, that that felt really good. I felt really healthy there, both like, you know, mentally and physically. And, uh, and that's a nice thing to be around. This place really doesn't make sense. If you think about it, it's further away from the airports than other beach towns. It's certainly more expensive. Almost everybody wants to have an ocean view and to be on the beach. That's like in a, in a check the box of wish list form. Like that's like number one. We basically have none of it. It's expensive. It's hard to get to. And why are you here? The wave's not even a good wave. Like it's not, it's not like a hard, heavy wave. And what we do have is an ultra consistent wave and ultra consistent health, wellness, beautiful people all over the place. But at the same time, nobody's having an ocean view and staying on the beach at the same time. Like basically what I'm getting at is to stay here, you're sacrificing something that you probably wanted, mm -hmm. but then people still want to come back. You just made the point when I was there, I was happy. We get that all the time. People stay in Tamarino, they stay in Samara or wherever else, and they stay right on the beach. And on, on the photos, it looks better. And then when they come here, they stay at a hotel not on the beach with more bugs and higher prices, but then they want to come back here. Yeah. Why is that? Uh, it, you know, it's, I mean, I, I, obviously, that's a, that's a tough answer, but I, I like answer, asking that question to people that I meet in town who have made that transition. What here. are they saying? I think people are really surgical when they come here. You know, I think a lot of those other towns, and you just rifled off a bunch of reasons why you, you, you know, you get to somewhere and say, you know, this spot looks good and feels good, and I like. Well, being on paper, the beach. it makes more sense, right? The price yeah. is better, the view is better, the accommodations are fancier. Very few people want to stay there. Tons of people want to stay here. I actually think it's 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 in all of those points of friction. 
of being here, a little bit further away, a little bit rougher. Uh, I think it's actually in those reasons why people want to be here because you don't have those masses and those waves. You've got a really nice um, balance here of people that are transient, that are passing through as vacationers through Costa Rica. You've got a really nice expat community here that is here a little bit more long term. Uh, and of course, you've got a local community as well. And I think you're going to see that mix of people continue to evolve. And this year, you know, I think this year is going to be a real transition. And we, we started to see it, you know, going back to, to my Airbnb days. There was this term that they used that I, I absolutely I, I hated every time I heard it. There was the business traveler and then the leisure traveler. And then they created a category called the bleasure Traveler, I already hate it. Right? I, it was terrible, right? It's like the people that were going, you know, I'm traveling Monday to Thursday and then I'm going to bring my family down on Thursday and I'm going to stay in this hotel and, you know, we're going to spend the weekend here and I'm going to take a long weekend. And so it's kind of a business trip, but kind of a leisure trip. I think what you're seeing now on Airbnb and, you know, you're, you're definitely seeing it in this town and I'm sure you're seeing it with the type of supply and what the supply is doing here. You're seeing a lot more people not just spending more time in these short-term rentals, longer periods of time, but they're they're living on the Airbnbs of the world today, right? People do not have primary homes anymore. They're going out and they're saying, I'm going to be there for six months and then I'm going to be there. You know, the, the, the digital nomad. Um, and these models are very conducive to that. And I think now with the work from home policies that you're seeing for most of these companies that they're announcing, we're just going to continue to see more and more of that. Got happening. it. So you see a promulgation of this is just going to keep going. It's going. Like Absolutely. The started. I, I think the, the pendulum will swing back. I still think there will be, you know, that there will be that home base for a lot of companies where people will need to be somewhere for an offsite once a quarter kind of thing. But those days of like, I got to be in San Francisco, New York every single week and show my face, you know, those days are done. Um, but I think I think the pendulum will swing back. There's still a lot of magic that happens in an office when you get humans together. Um, a lot of trust, you know, is built, and that that's a really tough thing that you can't you can't replicate those on Zoom. That, that's actually a good point. Um, so what's going to happen for here next season compared to this season? Because we had COVID, everything shut down, things were weird. Inter-country tourism got going. Um, some hotels, like for example, Gilded Iguana, did a great job of targeting people who live here. So now the people who live here are coming, and now that planes are flying again, the people who don't, they're coming too, and this past season was nuts. I think a couple of things are going to, I mean, obviously tough to read the tea leaves, tough to speculate where it's going to go, but here, here, here. Well, hey, it's not like we're recording this and going to show it to the whole world. Yeah, totally. It's just between us. us. Um, I I think there's a a couple of things that are going to happen uh, (laughs) next season. One is you're going to see a lot of pent-up travel demand just coming, right? Didn't we just see that? Is it the same thing or is there more? I don't think so. I think what you're seeing is a lot of people who did the the escape, right? Uh, case in point. So right? the wealthy people who can't escape are the ones who we just saw. You're saying next year it's actually going to get more? And I don't I don't think it's limited to to wealthy people. In fact, I think it's it's right across the spectrum. Well, Nosara is kind of limited to wealthy people because not everyone can afford it. Yeah, I, I think you're seeing a lot of people who are uh, – getting like airbnbs that have three or four bedrooms and are splitting them between three or four different groups of people so i think you'll, you'll see a lot of interesting things like that taking off but i think you'll see I, I think you'll see people who are um traveling closer to home so you might see a lot more local tourism coming here at san jose etc coming down um 
you'll see a lot of people that are coming down and the average length of stay, I think, will be increased. So I think, you know, gone are the days of the, you know, the five day quick mission down to Nasara. Um, I think you're going to see people coming back for a couple of weeks just because, you know, it's a little bit stickier. And, and again, just bleeding that that idea of like, I can work from there, right? So I'll extend my trip. We get long-term rental requests every day. And everyone's like, hey, I want to get something like two, three, four thousand a month. Three, four, five bedroom with the pool, walking distance to the beach in Guiones. And uh, see if you can just knock that out for me real quick. <laughs> it's comically difficult. Like, it's so challenging. How does this town fit in? Because we don't have, it's not like a city where it's just Airbnbs everywhere. Here it's very pocketed, right? Like if you have close to beach K section, G section, J, uh, any of those, very much in demand, but there's not much of it. And there's very little available. Heavens knows if you want to buy cheap real estate close to the beach here. Good luck with that. Um, those days are gone. So I guess what I'm saying is, Nosara, if it's going to be even bigger, based off the price adjustments we had this last year, like it, 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 it's just hard for me to comprehend. I moved here when you had to beg someone to buy here to even think about it. It, it seems so right. risky and crazy. And now it's not like that at all. It's a, so it's the same town with the same vibe, but it's also in my mind completely flipped upside down. It's like, it's hard to describe. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the quintessential, you know, marketplace dynamic, right? Supply and demand. Right. And, uh, you know, no question demand's going to be up and, you know, can can supply follow suit. Around the star, we like to get on the Internet and bitch and moan and talk our smack and think it makes a difference. It doesn't at all. But <laughs> this is what we do. We hop online and we like to say developers and realtors and people are driving this place crazy and they're making all their millions and ruining it. If somebody ever responds with, hey, this is just supply and demand. This is how this works everywhere on the planet. Some places are expensive. Some places aren't. And this is how it goes. That gets attacked. You, a voice of logic and reason from big companies who watches the whole planet with what you do. How do you, how do you, what do you have to say about all that? Yeah, I mean, this is probably one of the neatest things, I think, of my experience, you know, watching with Airbnb and, uh, and even Lyft for that matter. Um, you know, a lot of the time these companies and these models get a lot of flack in the media just because they, they, they become, you know, lightning, lightning rods. <laughs> right. Um, but, but here's the one thing that I can say unequivocally that, that has always, you know, inspired me about working for these companies and more specifically these founders, Brian Chesky at, at Airbnb and, and Logan Green and John Zimmer at Lyft. When you're sitting around a boardroom and you are evaluating these problems, these challenges for these business models, and a lot of time the challenges happen because these businesses just grow so fast and you know th these challenges aren't contemplated early on, they always, always err to the side of what is good for their stakeholders. There's no 100% of the time. Now, the challenge that happens, and I'll, I'll use Airbnb as an example. You always hear that businesses, you know, the number one stakeholder for a business, obviously, is shareholder, right? And driving shareholder value. It's just not the way they think anymore. It's just not the case at a company like Airbnb. And I'll, I'll you know, I'll explain that a little bit, unpack it. I actually think there's like five different stakeholders that Airbnb thinks about. One, of course, is is the, the shareholder, especially now that they're a public company. That, that they becomes, have to now. They, they have to now. That that's more that's more important. They also have to think about their employee base, right? Are they happy? Are they there? Are they the right people? Do they have the right integrity and trust? Can they is that the right you know squad that they've they've assembled? They have to think about their host community, right? The people that are actually listing their homes on the platform. They have to think about their guest community. As well, making sure that they're doing right by them, and then of course the the fifth one, which I think is you know probably the most important, is the communities that they operate in globally, 
right? What are they doing to those communities? And I can tell you unequivocally, anytime that there has been something that has been developed with Airbnb, a problem that's been exposed, that does not help the community that they operate in, they adjust and they make sure that they've got a solution for that. Now, a lot of times it's painful to go through those those steps and tell the, you know, there's... But they react. But, but, but they react and they react with high integrity every single time. Now, when you're trading off between all of those different stakeholder groups, you know, you can't satisfy all of them all the time, every time. Um, but those, those are the type of, like, that's the type of decision-making tree that they go through every time they think about the impacts. If what you're seeing is accurate, it's, it's nice to hear that people try to think of the greatest good, like, between the groups instead of just X, Y, Z. So that's nice, that's nice to hear. Now that being said, let's talk about the bad of Airbnb around here. We have a lot of old homes with old septic systems. So what's happening is people might buy an old home with an old septic system that's designed to run off of three to four people in the house. And now if you run Airbnb, you can have basically 12 to 15. So that's the feedback that comes in. Airbnb created a line for neighbors to contact, right? If there's a problem, if there's a party house or something going on, Airbnb actually created a line so that they can actually get that feedback, right? Like that, that's a company that's like saying like, we want to hear this stuff. And so I, I actually do think, and I'll give you just like a, a, a higher level example and of, of where, where it becomes complicated. Airbnb now has 6 million listings all around the world, right? I think they're in 212 countries or something like that. You know, it, it, it's, it's incredible. Really tough to develop policy rules and regulations uh, for, you know, for every specific town. That said, there are some macro concerns that, that Airbnb does address. So, um, uh, just one, one, one random example. In cities, there were people very early on who were buying up 10, 15, 20 units in a building, right? And, and the promise of Airbnb was that we wanted to create local experiences where people could feel like they belong, right? And have those, those authentic experiences. Well, that doesn't really do anybody well, right? Other than that owner, right? They're effectively creating a, a hotel in, in, in that building. There is a way that, and a lot of cities have done this, where they've restricted the number of units that one host can have, as an example, in, in cities to really help with the, 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 uh, the rental, obviously, what's on the rental uh, inventory. Go to the other side of the spectrum. There were a lot of vacation rental markets, ski towns, for example, whose businesses, whose economies were all predicated on bringing more people into the town. And they only had three or four hotels, but they had a lot of homes that were sitting there dormant, right? And so those towns were coming to us saying, please, how do we get somebody to buy 10 or 15 units in a building and, 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 you know, and increase the supply of the town, right? And so similar problem, total opposite ends of the spectrum. And I think that you know, there are solutions for all of those. Um, and those will all come with time. So you know, for the septic, you know, as an example, I, I, you know, I would say that host should have a responsibility on them. Right to say, hey, here it is. Either I got to make a different investment in the system that we're using here. Uh, it is a bit, you know, it's a business. We have revenue coming in. We should be held responsible for that, uh, which will also, by the way, create a better experience for their guests ultimately and help their property value. Um, but those again, those are just conversations that can be had on a local level. I get you. And also, it's well, my personal opinion is it does come back to the homeowner uh, to to do the right thing and. Um, Let's get off of Airbnb. Let's talk about other stuff. Yeah, sure. I already know what you like about it. I'm sorry. I know you like to surf the community and people, blah, blah, blah. I get all the likes. What are your dislikes? What are my dislikes about Nassara? Um, so I'll say two, two things pop into my mind. One is 
when I think about my, my two favorite restaurants that are in town, they're, they're both locally owned, right, by, by people that are from Costa Rica. Um, I, I wish there was more of that feeling in town, right? I mean, you really got to look for it. Um, you know, my favorite restaurant, Pacifico Azul. I love the family that's there, local family. The food is absolutely incredible. And what's your second? Uh, uh, probably Rosie's. Okay. You know? Then what's your third? Uh, my third would be... I mean, La Luna is amazing to sit on the beach and, and, and look out there. Hey, what's your take on Guiones versus Pilata? I, with the roads the way they are now, I think they're, they're kind of one and the same. You know, it's kind of a nice patch sort of off to the side. So you like them of, both? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they both hold something really special. It's interesting. I think when, uh, when you use the frame of how long are you going to be here for, if you're here for a week and you're trying to get into as much surf as you possibly can, you know, nice to be able to grab your board and walk down to the surf in, in Guiones. Um, but if you're here for any any period of time, it's nice to sort of get, you know, away from from all the hustle and the bustle. It is. Now, if you don't mind, how's your surfing experience going? <laughs> well, I, I'm a total noob. I, I started um, uh, early uh, in my time here um, with, a, with a great coach, Ollie Davies. Shout out uh, to Ollie. Another, yeah, another, another, uh, and, and more than anything, just super fun to, to go out with him. Um, but, uh, it was great because he, you know, he took a lot of the, the experience from Surf Simply, um, and, and just, you know, really like a regimented approach and, and really made sense to me. And then, you know, actually encouraged me to go over to Surf Simply for a week with Rue and, and the team there, which is an experience that is just absolutely second to none. And so I think between those two experiences together, um, you know, I've definitely hit my goal. My surfing goal coming to Nassara was I just want to be able to grab a board anywhere in the world, not look like a total idiot and be able to surf safely um, and have some fun. And I think I've, I've definitely hit that, that, that point. The problem when you hit that point, though, is I'm sure you know and anybody else who's listening to this podcast who surfs knows, once you hit that point, that's where the real addiction starts. So, so I think I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I think you're screwed, man. Yeah, you're gonna end up buying some place here. Yeah, it's um, over. It's over. But that happened to all of us. Like you're not alone. That's just kind of how this story goes. You come to Nosar a couple times. You're like, wait a second, that was different. Hmm. And then you keep going back. And then once you get into surfing, once you get to the competence point, I guess I would say, like, once you get to where you can paddle out, catch a wave, have a good time. It's really hard to get away from it then because it, it's it's just such a unique feeling and there's such a release of emotion and sliding down the face of a wave and timing it right, having a bad session, then having a good one, just the whole ups and downs. It's a man, it's a sticky sport. Yeah, and that's and that's just the sport of it. You know, everything else and you know, again, you know, with the backdrop of Nasara, you know, everything that comes along with surfing. Right. Just being down on that incredible beach and then grabbing, you know, a fresh juice on the way up and, you know, the camaraderie that you start to build in the lineup and seeing those people around town, you know, all of that, you know, with, with the backdrop of, of the actual sport is, you know, that's you brought that's up a like, killer combo. That's a yeah, killer you brought up combo. a point there that I, th I agree with you. It's strange because you might have somebody you surf with and don't even speak the same language. I don't know each other, but if he saw you have a dynamic experience or you saw him or her have a dynamic experience, you connected. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much positivity out there, you know, and, you know, I've heard stories, horror stories of other lineups and it being aggressive. I don't, I don't have a lot to compare it to, um, just my own story here. And I will tell you, like, 
it, it is fun out there and people are positive and rooting you on and giving you waves and you know definitely as a rookie i've dropped in on a couple of people and if anybody's watching the podcast i apologize um but you know everyone knows sort of where you're at and you know pretty pretty, po- pretty positive out there man i appreciate you coming and it's always a pleasure talking with you i uh I have a feeling we'll 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 have you back, and then we can bust your balls about it if any of your predictions were right or wrong, and then we'll ask you for future advice. Anytime, I'm I'm always happy to drop in here. Like I said, I'm great great at dropping in. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you got that one covered. Yeah, the um, tricks, nose rides, turns, and that type of stuff. Is it on the future? Like, are you going to keep going? Do you think, or do you are you going to get back to your cold life and get busy and off you go? No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't think you know at this stage of my life going going back to that you know that rat race. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts of this pandemic, right? Is you know people are really saying to themselves, you know, wow, that's that's really important to me now. Um, you know, surf will forever be a part of my life. You know, there's no question about that. Um, Nasara will forever be a part of my life. You know, no question about that. Um, but the question is just, you know, how, how do you weave that in? But I think if it's that important and becomes a priority, you know, you figure it out. Well, hey, may, maybe you keep coming down and I'll have boards and stuff or whatever you need to use. But one of these days I want to learn how to snowboard or ski or do something cold. I'm from Florida and then I moved here. So I have no clue how any of that yeah, stuff works. C- come on up. You know, you, you asked a question earlier about what, you know, what's tough about Nasara. I, I love the four seasons back home. You know, it just, it's a nice, it's a nice part of living back home where it gets cooler and then it gets more like you get excited when that summer's coming. And then the summer is intense because it's so short. So, you, you know, everybody's getting it in. Um, that's a really nice, you know, really yeah, nice that makes part. Sense. Yeah. It's, it's really great. Um, uh, but actually just really excitingly just bought a foil, um, for back home, which I am super excited about. Uh, so we'll do be doing that behind the boat, and if you know if I can get good enough, uh, I've seen a couple people out in the lineup foiling. Uh, yes, which, see they're here. One of my good friends, yeah. the guy who brought me down here, is really into foiling now. Yeah. Actually, he introduced me to Kai. Um, yeah, Eric, shout out to Eric from the Progression Project. Anybody who sees this, go follow him on Instagram. It's great. My the the greatest part I think about being down here for the last six months. I mean, uh, other than obviously just being down here uh, and learning how to surf, is just being a student again of something. Uh, and I, and I totally lost that love for being a student, understanding you know, what it is to be a good student and to be stoked for the next lesson and to be practicing along the way and seeing that development. Um, and then you really, I'm sure enjoyed Ollie and Surf Simply in particular, because they're very studious in the approach uh, to teaching and, uh, yeah, and they're, you know, th- those guys are so great and the whole team at Surf Simply and, and, and Ollie. And I think the thing that really you know, distinguishes them, there's a lot of people in, in, in various sports who are really, really good at their sport or their craft who are just terrible coaches and, and, and Ollie and, and, and the, and the surf simply crew, like they're not, not great at their sport. They are great at their coaching craft. Um, and they just make it so, so much fun, so much fun. You know, what, what they've built here is a real testament to their character. They're, they're sort of like what you see and then all the stuff that happens around the play. Um, you know, the work that, that the whole team at surf simply is doing with their kids club is, is absolutely incredible and their focus on integrating into the community uh and that's that's a real great baseline a great challenge for other business owners that are here but there's so much interesting stuff that's popping up here um and i and i hope that everyone takes that to heart right the integration into the community because that's you know that's what makes or breaks it thanks man really appreciate you coming in yeah my pleasure thanks for having me Mm -hmm.